certainly grateful for all our moms this morning, and uh, we want to say a, a big thank you to you. Uh, I was thinking about all the, you know, there's a broader conversation there um, that you have when you start to think about the role of moms in our life. There's certainly those of you who've given birth this year. Uh, since last Mother's Day, maybe you weren't a mom, today you are, and that's been a, a today we celebrate that with you. Uh, for those of you who are stay-at-home moms and you're there in the trenches, you know, fighting with the Kool-Aid and the crayons and, the, and all of that, we thank you moms. Uh, but then there, there are those this year who, uh, moms in the place who may have lost a child this year, uh, or those of us who maybe even have lost a mom this year. And so Mother's Day uh, brings up a whole range of emotions. And there are ladies in the house who've uh, certainly dealt with miscarriage, uh, failed adoption, those couples struggling with infertility. And then I was so struck last week when we heard Paul and Angela's story, how she would say that every year on her abortion anniversary, how, how painful it was for her. And so we acknowledge today that there are, there are ladies uh, in the room who this day is a great day of celebration, but yet it also brings up for you um, other, other emotions and feelings from your life. There are moms today that are distant from their kids, or maybe kids that are distant from their mom. And there are um, single ladies that are looking forward to that day when they'll have a family. And so we stand with you and say, God's got a plan for you. And then I noticed as I was greeting at the front door this morning, there's some expecting moms in the house. And so that's going to be a whole change, especially for those of you who for the first time. So I just wanted to say some words of acknowledgement to um, all the special ladies that are here at Kingwood Church this morning. Uh, you are a warrior and you are a gift. And because of your love and your care and your sacrifice, your generosity, your tenacity, your faith, your encouragement, we are all better off uh, because of you. And uh, for those of you who are having maybe a multitude of experiences today, uh, we welcome you and honor you. So would you give all the special ladies in our life just a great big giant hand and thank them for all they do. Well, I, I am so thrilled today in the My Story series being Mother's Day, I thought it'd be really neat uh, if this story was told um, by a lady. And so I could think of none better than um, Suzanne Cox, who was the pastor's wife here at Kingwood Church uh, for a long time, uh, who is uh, my wife's uh, stepmother, and uh, her, her uh, mother passed. And so God brought Suzanne into our lives and I had to get on our calendar like in 2009 or something crazy like that. I don't remember how long it took me to get her here because she travels everywhere. All over the country in small churches, large churches, state conventions and conferences and women's conferences and all over the country. Uh, but I thought, how, how long has it been uh, since, since we've got to hear from her? And how many of you don't know her story at all? And so uh, I am so pleased and honored today uh, to welcome Suzanne Cox. Would you give her a great big Kingwood welcome as she comes today? Thank you, Thank you Jay. Love you. 
Well, I am so blessed to be here. Ron and I, um, you know, we retired. It'll be almost six years. Can you believe that? And Stacy and Jay have done such an amazing job uh, with carrying the legacy, the legacy and the torch uh, of Kingwood Church and everything that it means to the church and to the city. Um, we're just blessed. We're so blessed to be um, still here and happy and God is doing great things. And I'm going to set this right here. Okay. And um, so uh, we just love you guys. And there's, you know, we travel across the country, but there is no place like home. There is no place like Kingwood Church. And someone said to me, um, actually it was Michelle McKinley. I'll just go ahead and say who said it. Um, she saw me at, she saw us at one of the 4th of July um, big deal at, over at the park and um, where we do an outreach for the city. And she said, um, Pastor Ron and Suzanne, I just want you to know that we love Kingwood Church. There's a lot of churches with branches, but Kingwood Church has roots, roots that go deep into the soil of faith. And, you know, no matter the storms that blow, uh, God has kept us and, and continues to bring life and hope and healing. And it's just a blessing to be back with you. And I could get real sentimental and, um, you know, start crying, but I'll save that. <laughs> so, um, so let's pray. Father, we just thank you right now for your love and your grace. And um, thank you for Kingwood Church. We're a family here. And Lord, we just, uh, we honor you today and we honor the mothers that are here today and all the women who are rising up to take their place in the kingdom of God. And Lord, the things that you are doing in us and through us in these days. And so we are careful to give you all the glory and honor for what will be done here today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, today um, we're going to talk about choices because the choices that you made yesterday have affected where you are today, right? And uh, if you're like me, then maybe you've made some wrong choices in life, but cheer up because, um, you know, God's word is your guide for making right choices every day of your life. You can choose to walk in the plans and purposes of God that he created just for you. We know that Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but plans to give you hope and a future. And he says, if you'll seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. And when we find him, we find the plan, right? And so that's the deal is that we have to seek after God. We have to go after him if we're going, because a half-hearted seeker will never fulfill the plans and purposes of God for their life. So we have to go after God with our whole life because he really does have a plan for you. So I'm going to share some life lessons that I managed to live to tell about. <laughs> and so um, life lesson number one is choose to live in today. Choose to live in today. Philippians 3.13 says, this one thing I do. How many? One thing. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you're going to go on with God, you're going to have to forget your past. Your past is worthy of one thing, and that is forget about it. You know, we were just in New Jersey, and they say forget about it, you know. And so we just have to move on past the past and into your future because, see, uh, when you get born again, you become a person without a past. <laughs> so that's good gospel news right there. And so we, we just move on. Forget those things which are behind. 
and press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. See, I could be swallowed up with the guilt and shame and regrets of my past, but I choose to live in today. I choose to, David the psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. We don't have to be depressed like the world is depressed. We've got God living on the inside of us, and we can tap into that well of joy and strength anytime we need it. And so, um, see, I, I didn't know that God had a plan for my life, and so all my life, I, I felt like my, um, you know, my, my self-worth was based on my appearance because I didn't look like those Vogue magazine hotties. <laughs> you know, why God ever thought this nose fit on this face, I'll never know, <laughs> but he did. And see, some, some things you would get in fights at school about. And so, see, when uh, I was nine years old, when my parents divorced, my daddy had been an alcoholic our whole life, and things got very difficult and um you know, my mom uh, divorced him when things got abusive, and then we, we left, and we, we came to Birmingham. Well, I was raised in Sylacauga, and, and then we came to Birmingham where my nana lived. And see, uh, my mom did the best that she could do, raising three young children, a 9, 10, and 14-year-old. And we even went to nana's church. But you know what? It was a denominational church full of sweet people, but I never heard the born-again experience. I never heard that God had a plan for my life. I never heard that. And so, uh, you know, I mean, so I just thought that I had to fit in. I had to fit in anywhere. And, and you know, really, because who's our role model when we're growing up? Oh, Miss Barbie, <laughs> Miss 36, 24, 36, with her long blonde hair and her perky little nose and her blue eyes. But she never said anything wrong because she couldn't talk. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Miss Barbie sends a very powerful message to little girls that if you're not blonde and beautiful, then you're insignificant and unpopular and you're never going to make it in this world. But you know what? That is a lie from the pit. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. He fashioned you just the way you are. And so, uh, you know, I, my life began to spiral out of control at a very early age because we moved into a neighborhood full of uh, a lot of older kids, older than me. And I started running with them and getting in trouble. And by the time I was 16 years old, I was a full-blown alcoholic. By the time I was 23, I was a cocaine addict and almost all my teeth have had to be replaced. You know, Satan takes you so much further than you ever wanted to go and he keeps you longer than you ever wanted to stay. I never set out in my life to become a drug addict or an alcoholic. But, you know, I, I didn't know that God had a plan. I didn't know that I could, I could be set free. And so um, I, was, um, I was lost and undone. I was depressed and suicidal. And at 31 years old, as a depressed, suicidal drug addict and an alcoholic, I um, was driving home from work one day, which was a miracle that I still had a job because, you know, my boss was an alcoholic, so it kind of worked out. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I, I was driving home from work one day thinking about taking my life. And I had lived in depression for so long. And I was driving home from work, and, when, and I looked over, and I was living out in Hueytown, Alabama, and I, I passed this church uh, that I had passed for five years going back and forth at, a, at Gary Wood Assembly of God, and they had this huge camp meeting sign out front. Well, I didn't know any Pentecostal lingo at Nana's church, so I just thought, you know, camp meeting, that must mean summer camp or something like that. 
So I went home and took a nap, and when I woke up, I knew I had to be at that church. I had to be there. And I got in my car, and I drove down there, and I sat in the parking lot, uh, you know, in my skin-tight blue jeans and my low-cut blouse, because I normally went out as a lady of the evening. And I sat in that church parking lot, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I was watching all these people come in in suits and ties and dresses and Bibles. And I thought, you know what, this is just another place that I don't belong. I could be in a room full of people, and I felt like I never fit in anywhere. And I was about to crank my car and drive away, and it was like a hand pushed me out of my car. And I walked up the steps to that church, and I didn't want to go to church on Tuesday night. Who does that? I, I, I was walking up the stairs, and I was thinking, oh, you know, why am, I even, why am I even coming to church on a Tuesday night? And I walked up the steps, and there was a little lady standing at the door. I'm telling you, greeters have a special anointing from God. <laughs> Keep your spiritual antennas up because there's divine appointments set up for you. And when I came through the door, she said, are you by yourself? And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, I don't know the first thing about an Assembly of God church. I just know that when I woke up, I had to be at this church. And she went, well, praise the Lord. And I went, oh, no, I've heard about people like you. <laughs> I think we had an Avon lady like that one time. And so... <laughs> Yeah, and so I, I, she says, come on, honey, you can come and sit with me. And so before I knew it, I was trapped in her web. And so I was, I was watching all these people. I'm talking about coming, you know, hanging from the chandeliers, jumping up and down, hooting and rooting and shouting. And, you know, because it's camp meeting. And so, um, and I thought, oh, oh I, I cannot believe. I mean, this is drums and guitars in the church. This is sacrilege. I mean, like, really, at Nana's church, the lady came out in the long black robe and she sat down at the pipe organ like Phantom of the Opera, you know. <clears throat> and then the pastor would come out in his long black robe and say, God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence. <laughs> well, that scared the liver out of a fourth grader. Whoever wanted to get to know that kind of God. He was dark and mysterious and thanks, but no thanks. And so I'm watching these people hanging from the chandeliers thinking, I kind of like this place. <laughs> kind of looks familiar. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and so all of a sudden here comes Pastor Loper with probably one of the most eloquent speakers you'll ever hear, and it was Dr. Mark Rutland. And he came out, and he, he actually has, uh, was a missionary at the time. He has been the president of Southeastern University and Oral Roberts University. And uh, he said, uh, he, got, he, he shared a simple message on the love of God. And he looked across the audience that night, and he said, you could be here tonight. And you wish you had never even been born. And I thought, that's me. Every day that I wake up and look in the mirror, I hate myself that much more. Every time I see another sunrise, I think, why do I have to face another day? I had tried to kill myself since I was 10 years old. I had heard those voices in my head say, nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. You might as well just take your life because nobody would even care or even notice. And he said, you could be here tonight and you wish you had never even been born. But I am here to tell you, you can be born again. You can start your life over. God is a God of new beginnings. You can be washed clean by the blood of Jesus and stand before a holy God as if you had never sinned. And I had tears streaming down my face. And I thought, how could I have been raised in church my whole life? And I've never even heard this. And he said, if you want to bow your heads and pray a simple prayer like I prayed. He was about to give 
the altar call and my legs jumped up. I ran to the front. I had never seen an altar call in my life. And I knelt down and I said, God, if this is real, I want it. I want to change. I want a new beginning. And I don't even have anything to offer you but a broken heart and a broken life. And he said, Suzanne, all I want is your heart. And that night on September 14th, 1993, I became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Never lose the wonder of your salvation. You have a story to tell. And God will put people in your path to hear your story. I went to church. I went to work the next day. And I said, oh, my goodness, I got what they call born again. And my, um, my friends, I said, y'all got to come to church with me. And they're like, we don't want to go to church. And I'm like, I know. Well, it's not really like church. It's like God is there. <laughs> And so my friends started coming to church with me and, and getting born again. And so that was um, a Tuesday night I got saved. We went Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, camp meeting. You know, you go every night. And so um, on that Friday night service, there was an evangelist there. And when he got done preaching, he said, if you want everything God has got for you, I want you to come to the front. And so I thought, well, you know, I want everything God's got for me, but I had no idea what I was in for. <laughs> so I came to the front with the whole tribe of Israel. I mean, we are packed in like sardines and he is coming down and I'm thinking he is pushing those little ladies down in the floor. <laughs> like what is going on? And I, you know, he gets in front of me and I felt the fire of God coming off the man. Now I didn't know anything about the anointing. I just wanted to touch the fire. And he got in front of me and he told my friend Karen, he said, you get behind her and push. And she pushed me up to where my fingertips touched his. And it was like 10,000 volts of electricity started going down my arm. And I looked at Karen with my eyes this big and she went, go with it. <laughs> so I did. I hit the floor like a rock as God washed years of depression off of me and filled me with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Woo! When I sat up, my throat was on fire, and I was speaking in a language I had never heard before. <laughs> I was the first person I ever heard speak in tongues. <laughs> yeah. Does God have a sense of humor or what? Yes, he does. And see, that's when I came to realize God really never meant for us to go through life sober. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ephesians 5.18 says, do not be drunk with wine, whereas in excess it will ruin your life. It will ruin your life. You'll go places, you'll say things, you'll do things you wish you had never done. Alcohol has an assignment to destroy your life. But he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? Be filled. So you can drink and drink, and all it does is make more capacity for more of God. And you never have a hangover. Woo! That is something to shout about right there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so choose to live in today. Your past is history. Your future is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. <laughs> Don't you love that? Yes. Okay. So, okay. So, life lesson number two. Choose to renew your mind. Choose to renew your mind. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. Listen, I don't want to be just in the, in the good or, or the acceptable I want to be smack dab in the middle of God's perfect will all the days of my life. I want to be right there in the middle. But you've got to get your mind renewed with the word of God. Listen, your spirit man may have gotten born again, but your flesh is still like Joe Sinner down the street. It wants to do the same old stuff that it used to do. 
It wants to drink and chew and run with girls that do, but we don't do that anymore. So, you know, we, we want to, we want to let God, um, become the ruler. Your flesh is still going to want to rise up and control your life. But only by the word of God will you be able to, to be the ruler. Let your spirit man rule. See, I thank God for the little pioneers of faith. Oh, the little white-haired ladies of the church. Oh, honey, they took me on as a mission. You believe it? <laughs> I came in with big hair, red lips, and mini skirts up to here. And they said, here, honey, here's your Bible. Why don't you start reading it tonight? <laughs> and I said, okay. Remain teachable all the days of your life. My little Miss Betty, I'm telling you the truth. She has been a godsend in my life. And, and my little pioneers of faith, they taught me that the word of God, it generates life and it creates faith and it heals hurts and it builds character and it causes miracles to happen. Listen, you don't even know how to pray until you know the word of God to get your mind renewed to think like God thinks. Jesus taught us how to fight the devil with it is written. That's the word of God. And so I began to spend time with my little pioneers of faith. They taught me how to tithe and give to missions. You know, they taught me how to pray through till you get the victory. <laughs> they taught me how to plead the blood of Jesus for protection and power. And so I thank the Lord for my little pioneers of faith and my Miss Betty, because where would I be without her? You know, David, the psalmist, he said, he said, um, Thy word have I highlighted with a yellow pen. Oh, no, he didn't. He said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The word of God will keep you out of trouble. And so, um, so I, I had decided that since I, have, I was saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and God had uh, put some awesome mentors in my life, I said, surely there is a husband on the horizon. Because <laughs> I'm 31 and we were burning daylight, you know. And so, so I said, Lord, you know, really? And he said, really? <laughs> you know, Suzanne, you're nowhere near ready for a husband. You don't even know how to keep your big mouth shut. <laughs> He's still working on that one. You believe that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So no comments. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I decided to start my date night with the Holy Ghost. You know, date night for three years, I spent my Saturday nights with the Lord because God the Father is in heaven and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But the Holy Spirit has been sent to the earth. I mean, and he's here now. And so I spent my Saturday nights with the Lord because um, I, I needed to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Listen, you can speak words. The, word, the power of life and death is in the tongue. You can speak words, and then you can go back and say, I'm so sorry, I wish I'd never said that. And they can forgive you, but it'll never take away the, made, the way it made them feel. And so I needed self-control in my life. I'd lived 31 years in the world, and you can fill in the blanks on that. So I, I started spending my Saturday nights with the Lord, and, and I would come in from work, and, you know, my friends would call me and say, we're going to go have chili, or we're going to a movie. And i say, oh, no, I have a date. You have a date? Oh, yes, I do. It's date night with the Holy Ghost. And so I would come in from work, and I'd run up the stairs and open the door and go, Hi, honey, I'm home. And after about three months, I opened the door, and he was there waiting for me. 
He's real. He loves you with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness, he draws you to himself. And so I began to, to just spend my Saturday nights with the Lord and talk to him and pray out the plans and purposes of God. And one night as I was reading the word, it was like Proverbs 31, 23 leapt off the page. And it says, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. He said, Suzanne, if you'll wait on me, I'll bring you a husband that I'll see you as the treasure that I see you as. And you'll come alongside him and you'll help him fulfill his destiny. But you have to wait. Well, wait is such a hard word <laughs> when you're 31. And so I said, but, you know, really? All my friends are married and have kids. And, you know, he says, I want you to wait on me. And so I, what, do you, what do you say when the Lord says, wait? You say, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'll wait. And so I, I waited for three years, and I stayed in my home church, and then God called me to go to Bible college, where I went out to Rama Bible Training Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma, two of the best years of my life of learning how to walk by faith and be led by the Spirit of God. And I thought, well, surely I will go out to Rama Bridal Training Center and get my MRS degree, <laughs> you know. And so um, I get out there, and, <clears throat> you know, I, I did not meet my husband there. And then God called me to go to India. And I said, I am so sorry. Are you sure you didn't mean Indiana? I mean, like, India is so far. He said, Suzanne, go to India. <laughs> God will speak your language. Yes, he will. And so, I, so I'm like, but Lord, I thought they went two by two. And he says, we are two. Me and you are a team. I, you know. And so, so I said, well, you know, I said, well, what do you say when the Lord says, go to India? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'll go. Which brings me to life lesson number three. Choose to obey God. Choose to obey God. Isaiah 119 says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. And so I packed my suitcase and I, and I got off the plane in, in India, which is one of the darkest, uh, spiritually dark places in the world. They serve 300 million gods. And in the village where I lived, I worked with uh, Teen Challenge and and the underground church where we rescued little girls out of the brothels of sex trafficking industry. The second largest crime industry in the world. The fastest growing crime industry in the world is our children. And so I, I worked because they believe in the village like where I live, spiritually dark. They believe that um, if a girl child is born first, she brings a curse on the family. If a boy child is born first, then he brings the blessing of the 300 million gods. And so I, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Uh, in India, it's 120 degrees by 7 o'clock in the morning. I lived in a village uh, with no air conditioning in our house, open sewage running through. And, and I, I saw many times where families, once they found that it was a girl child born first, they would suffocate her and send her down the river of sewage. If she lived to be as old as nine years old, some families, not all families by any means, but some families would sell their daughters for as little as $4 into slave prostitution where she would be beaten and burned and raped into submission and put behind a soiled curtain on a floor. 
and forced to have as many as 30 relationships a day until they until she's 16 years old and then at 16 she's too old she's sick she's demon possessed she is broken beyond measure and she has no hope and she has no dreams and so for $200, you could work with the underground church and go in and buy a 16-year-old girl and bring her out into new hope and tell her, baby, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan. And so we saw some of our girls um, really get victory and, and overcome, and we saw some of them return and go back to prostitution. Well, I, I have a picture of some of my girls that are living a full, free life today because of everything that God is doing at New Hope. Can we show the picture of our girls? <clears throat> Amen. How much is that beautiful? We, we're praying one million daughters at the marriage supper of the Lamb. <laughs> A million daughters. We're trying to get a piece of land now, as a matter of fact. But because um, we could have a thousand, we could, I mean, that's only 15 that we can have in our house right now. And look at those precious faces. And so um, God began to do a mighty work, and it was the best of times and the worst of times. But sometimes I would stand at the gate and watch my girls go back to prostitution, and it would break my soul. And so I, I, after I fulfilled my first year, I decided, you know, I'm going to go on back to the States. And uh, because it's too hard, it's too difficult, they're too broken, I'm in over my head, I don't, you know. And, and so I was packing my suitcase and getting ready to go back. And Sister Kelly and Pastor Rich, the missionaries who had started the home, were in California on furlough. And they called me and said, Suzanne, we need you to stay one more year. And I said, I cannot. I'm exhausted emotionally, physically, spiritually exhausted. And I said, she said, Suzanne, we need to stay one more year. Please, will you just pray about it? And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to pray. Don't ask, <laughs> don't ask me to pray about staying one more year. So, um, so I said, well, I'm going to the mountains, and I'm, I'm going to house sit for a couple who's doing a kid's camp up there in the border of Nepal. And so I said, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll pray about it. So I went up there, and I fasted and prayed. And the Lord said, Suzanne, I want you to stay one more year. See, a year in India, you know, it's like on God's timetable, a day is as a thousand years. <laughs> and I said, I don't know that I can do this, but what do you do when the master says one more year? What do you say? Yes, sir. Choose to obey God. I would tell you it doesn't cost you anything, but really it costs you everything. But he's worth it. He's worth it all. He paid the price so that we could be free. He says, freely you have received, so freely give. So I said, yes, sir. And I came down off the border of Nepal, and I came on a train station, and monsoon season had started, and Sister Usha, the national director, was there to pick me up, but she couldn't find me because the tracks were flooded. And so I, um, I came in and I was waiting for her and there's just hundreds, possibly thousands of men in the train station and, and it's not a safe place to be. And so I, I had actually, you know, I waited there from nine o'clock to 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Sister Usha couldn't find me. So I thought, well, I cannot spend the night here. This is too dangerous. And I had taken taxis and I, before and, uh, in India, but, um, only in the daytime. And so I asked this 
taxi driver, I said, you know my village, Faridabad? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, well, uh, this is my address. And, and so I got in the taxi with him, and about 15 minutes into the dark night of India, I realized he was not taking me to my village. And fear began to suffocate me. And I, I reached up and I tapped him on the back and I said, Baya, which means brother Faridabad is my village. And he shook his head. And about that time, he pulled into an abandoned service station and blew the horn where four men came out and began to look into the van at my luggage. And, and probably the most demon-possessed man I've ever seen in my life looked at that taxi driver and said, Kitna Pesa, ye American, which means how much money do you want for her? He was about to sell me into slave prostitution, and I would have gone underground that night. It would have been a prize to have had an American. And, and I mean, tears were streaming down my face, and my little pioneers of faith had taught me how to plead the blood. <laughs> and I began to say, Father, I just plead the blood. I plead the blood right now. And the Holy Ghost on the inside of me said, speak it out. And I began to scream at the top of my voice, Father, in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus over my life and over this van. You said in Psalm 91, you've given your angels charge over me to keep me in all of my ways. And when I said that, those four men were slammed up against that building. Their eyes were looking into heaven as I believe. God opened the heavens to show them the angels of God. Hallelujah. That taxi driver jumped in and we took off and I prayed in the Holy Ghost all the way to my doorstep where he let me out and I never saw him again. Woo, our God is faithful. He's faithful, I tell you. So Sister Usha and I went on a 21-day fast and we began to ask the Lord, we, we need miracles. We need a curriculum for our girls. And so God spoke to my heart. He said, Suzanne, the year 2000 will be your year of miracles. And we began to see miracles for our girls. We began to see, we began to see the, um, our, our girls get healed and set free and get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. We got a curriculum uh, through ICI, which is Global University now, to teach them. And, I, I mean, I would help them with their homework. And uh, when Sister Kelly came back from California, she said, Suzanne, these girls are speaking Hindi with a southern accent. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we began to see miracles. And then in October of my year of miracles, after I signed up for my third year, because, you know, these are my girls and this is my home and I could do this forever now. And, um, but my mom, uh, they called and said my mom had had a severe heart attack and I needed to come home if I wanted to see her. So I called brother David Grant and, um, and I said, can I, can I go home and see my mom and he said, sure, this is like October, so why don't you just schedule to stay for Christmas and come back the 1st of January? And I said, okay, so I'm packing my suitcase and getting ready to um, come back to the States to see my mom. And Sister Kelly came and she sat on the end of my bed and she said, Suzanne, you remember when we called and asked you to, uh, to, to stay one more year? And I said, how could I forget? <laughs> you know, and she says, um, she says, we were actually in Springfield, Missouri at a missions conference with 500 missionary couples. And she said, we were listening to some pastor from somewhere in Alabama named Pastor Ron Cox give his testimony. And he talked about, she said, we laughed and we cried. She said, the man is just a nut. <laughs> and so, and she said, when they first got to the church, um, he, he's pastored there for 27 years at that time. And, and she said, um, when they first got there, his wife became very ill with a neurological disease and they could not figure out what was wrong with her. 
And they, um, you know, they just didn't know, understand what was going on. And she said she had a little, he had a six-month-old baby girl, Tiffany, and a, and a six-year-old daughter, Stacy. And they could not figure out what was wrong because um, she would do strange things and, and things out of character uh, for a pastor's wife. And, and people just could not figure out what was going on. And so after five years, they diagnosed her with Huntington's chorea which is um, a long-term illness and neurological disease. And, and they said, you're so far advanced now that uh, your, your body will begin to twist after five years and you'll be in a wheelchair and then you'll be in a nursing home and, and without a miracle. And she said, um, she said, Suzanne, he took care of her in the home the first 15 years. I mean, he, he fixed her makeup and he'd do her hair and he'd uh, wheel her up in front of the pulpit and preach the gospel and say, baby, we're going to make it because God is faithful. We're going to make it. And she said, Suzanne, he took care of her in the home for the first 15 years. He, he did the girls' hair and ponytails and sent them off to school. He built a Christian school because he wanted to know his girls were safe. And he sent the girls off to school and take care of Glinda. And the church was growing fast. And, and I mean, in spite of everything that was going on. But the city began to change because God is so faithful and she said, and then after 15 years, her vital organs began to shut down, and, and uh, he had to put her in a nursing home, which is right through those woods over there. And he would go every morning, and he would kneel down by her bed, and he would say, honey, if you can hear me, I want you to know that by the grace of God, I'll be faithful to you one more day, but I'll have to come back tomorrow and tell you the same thing. And she said, Suzanne, he did that for another nine years, day after day after day, while the girls grew up and went off to Southeastern Bible College and met their incredible husbands. People continued to come and be healed and walk out the door. I don't know why Glenda never got healed. I don't. But what I do know is that Isaiah 53 says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, she was healed. She was healed. It breaks my heart that my girls have been diagnosed with the same disease. But you know what? We live, we live in the knowledge of the goodness and the faithfulness of God, and we believe that we shall stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We shall. And Glenda loved Elvis, and Ron would go sing Elvis songs to her. <laughs> and she said, Suzanne, Glenda has passed away, but I'm here to tell you, she says, when you go home to Alabama, I want you to go find Pastor Ron Cox, and I want you to meet him because I believe one day that man is going to be your husband. And I said, shut up, because you know what? I mean, if he's pastored the same church for 27 years, how old is this man? <laughs> And she said, well, you are no spring chicken sitting on 40. So I said, I said, well, touche. But I'm not going to home to look for some pastor in Alabama. I'm going home to see my mom. And then I'm coming back because these are my girls and this is my home. And so in my year of miracles in October, I stepped off the plane and my mom greeted me at the airport. And she says, my doctor has released me. I am out of intensive care. I have the heart of a 16-year-old because our God is still the God of miracles. Amen. 
So I said, well, I get to spend Christmas with you. And then I have my ticket to go back. So, um, so then, uh, in Ron, I'm, you know, I, I, uh, was telling my pastor, I said, I need to, uh, get my ticket to go back to India. I said, can you help me pay for it? And he said, sure, come on in the office. You know, thank God for missions pastors. So I, so I was sitting in my pastor's office three days after I get off the airplane and Dolores, I mean, his secretary, instead of beeping him on the telephone, comes in the office and says, Pastor Loper, Pastor Ron Cox is on the telephone. And I'm like, oh my word, that's that man's name. That name went on the back burner. That thing was on fire. So... I said, oh, my word. And so I'm sitting there listening to my pastor talk to him. And it's, um, you know, I mean, he didn't know anything about it. And he says, oh, Ron, I can't play golf with you today. You know, real spiritual stuff. He said, I can't play golf with you today. I've got appointments backed out the door. And then he looked at me and he goes, but I'm sitting here with a little missionary from India. She got born again in my church. She's never been married. She'd probably love to play golf with you today here. Why don't you talk to her on the telephone? And I'm going, no, I don't want to talk to him. And Ron's on the other end going, John, no, no, I don't want to talk to him. He, I don't want to talk to her. You, you know, he's thinking missionary from India, never been married, must be looking like Mother Teresa, you know. <laughs> Corey Ten Boom, you know, with the bun. And, um. So we get on the phone and we talk as fast as we can and we get off the phone as fast as we can. And all, you know, so I told my pastor the whole story and he said, well, you know, Thursday is our sectional council and all the pastors will be here and all the missionaries will be here. And he said, why don't we just plan to have lunch afterwards? And I said, well, I don't know about that. So I came into the continental breakfast that morning on Thursday morning and, and I asked one of my women's ministry ladies, I said, is pastor Ron Cox in the house? And she goes, well, yeah, he's sitting over there with Pastor Loper. And I thought, well, now's my chance to spy out the land. <laughs> yeah. And so I turned around and I looked at him. And I turned around and I looked again. I said, glory to God. The man is so fine. Woo! Hallelujah. I said, oh, Father, you have my permission to go with this one. <laughs> and so... so we met that day in the foyer. But I'm so shy and insecure <laughs> that I took off. And so Pastor Dan Ross's valley called my mother's house the next morning. He said, my friend Ron met you, and we were wondering if you'd have uh, lunch with us today. And I said, I'm doing a master's commission meeting in blue jeans. And I said, I don't think so. He said, we'll all wear blue jeans and see you at 12 o'clock. And so I went, and Ron began to, um, Pastor Jeremy, if you'll come, we'll start wrapping this thing up. Yep. And so, um, so I, um, so I, you know, as we're sitting there having lunch, Ron began to tell me about being on a, a, a servant leadership team of pastors and businessmen that meet at the South Trust Building in Birmingham and pray over our city and believe that God is going to break down racial barriers and denominational barriers and make our city a light on the hill. And when he said that, the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, Suzanne, there's your Proverbs 31, 23, man. He's respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. He said, Suzanne, that man's going to be your husband. And all the fears and the insecurities of my life began to flood in. I don't deserve anybody like him. Oh, God. And the Holy Spirit said, hey, this isn't about your works. This is about my grace. And that man's going to be your husband. And I said, well, who's going to tell him? <laughs> I'm not going to tell him. 
but he got my number that day and we would talk for hours and in November of my year of miracles I met my beautiful girls my Tiffany and Stacy I love them with all my heart we're believing for miracles we're gonna have a miracle service right here today and people are gonna receive And then in December of my year of miracles, he called me and he said, Suzanne, I'm up here in New York City. Have you ever seen the Christmas lights in New York City? And I said, no. He said, they're amazing. I said, what are you doing in New York City? He said, I'm up here with my friend and my mentor, Pastor David Wilkerson. The prophet of God has gone to heaven now. But Ron, he had he had met Ron years before and had just loved on this broken preacher. And he said, who else would I go to? And he went to him and he said, I feel like I've met somebody that I want to marry, but I'm so afraid to put my heart on the line. I've watched my church grow to nearly 2,000. I've watched my girls grow up and marry men of God. But personal happiness has always seemed to elude me. He said, I don't know what to do. And Pastor Wilkerson, he says, why don't we just stretch out on the carpet and see what God has to say? After 30 minutes, he sat up and he said, Ron, you marry her. God is going to give you back everything that the canker worm and the palmer worm and the locust has eaten. God is going to give you a triple harvest of every sunset that you miss. Every hand being held over a candlelight dinner, God is going to give it back to you. He said, you bring her up here. I want to meet her. And I said, well, I, I can't go out of town with some single pastor. <laughs> you know, I'm a missionary of integrity. He said, well, what if pastor, because there's no compromise, ladies. No, don't you compromise your walk with God for anybody. And you guys too. He said, well, what if Barbara, his, what if he calls and asks you to speak to his home for um, rescued prostitutes and you could stay with Barbara, his secretary. I said, I don't know. I'll have to pray about that. Amen. Send me a ticket. <laughs> so I went. And Pastor David prayed the sweetest prayer over us and sent us on a carriage ride around Central Park. And we got out of the carriage and we began to walk the streets of New York City. And Ron looked over at me and he said, Suzanne, didn't you tell me the year 2000 is your year of miracles? And I said, yes, that's what God spoke to me at the beginning of the year. He said, didn't you tell me that Miracle on 34th Street is your favorite Christmas movie? Well, don't get ahead of me. <laughs> I said, yes, I love Miracle on 34th Street. I watch it in 120 degree weather in India. He said, I want you to look up. And when I looked up, we were standing with the sleet and the snow and out on my little black, you know, my black wool coat, my little black fur attitude hat. I think we got a picture of that. And he looked over at me and he said, Suzanne, it's not only your year of miracles, but it's my year of miracles. And he brought out this beautiful diamond ring and he said, will you marry me and be my wife and the first lady of Kingwood Church? And I was crying so hard. I looked like Tammy Faye with a little wet skunk on my head. <laughs> but I managed to say, yes, I will marry you. And he said, I want you to come back and I want you to speak on Mission Sunday. I want you to tell your story. 
And I said, not my story. Please let me tell somebody else's story. <laughs> Your church has walked through the valley with you for 27 years. And he said, that's right. And they will stand on the mountaintop with me too. He said, I want you to tell your story. And so that morning, so many of you, I look across here and I know that you were here that day. And I told my story because really I'm nothing but a trophy of God's grace. Allow your pain to become your platform and God will use you to pull souls out of darkness. And I stood here and I told my story and he came up beside me and he said, church, we give and we give to missions. It's the lifeblood of our church. We have built churches and Bible colleges across the world. He said, today, God is giving us back a missionary and she's going to be my wife and the first lady of Kingwood Church. And they stood to their feet and they clapped for 20 minutes. <laughs> and the women's ministry of Kingwood Church gave us the most beautiful wedding you've ever seen on February 17th of the year 2001. I came down the center aisle wearing a white dress. Isaiah 61 says, the Lord gives beauty for ashes. He gives the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Our God is a God of new beginnings. And I want every head bowed right now and every eye closed. And I want you. See, I know this is a divine appointment. I know that God brought you here. He, he loves you desperately and he wants to bless you aggressively. And if you're here and you say, Suzanne, I need you to pray for me because I need that peace. I want peace in my life. I need a new beginning in my life. And if that is you, I want you to lift your hand right now. I want you to say, Suzanne, pray for me.